Mana 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 this is social disgusting welcome to social disgusting a podcast where my guests and i discuss our lives amidst the wanton hellscape in which we find ourselves i am brandon aka brandon hope you're well my guest is a comedian writer and podcast producer his podcasting oeuvre includes good christian fun inside voices gilmore guys and mazel boys please welcome kevin t porter hey we're here we did it we're doing this (laughs) brandon was so nice when i had to reschedule like two months ago and i just appreciate your time thank you for finally made it i know i know (laughs) i i you know i i know what it's like though it's like asking people out on dates you know even booking (laughs) my podcast and stuff where it's like do you please please do you want to hang out with me for 30 to 30 to 90 minutes and i promise it'll be fun and you'll have a good time oh you want to cool and now okay cool i'll set the parameters like yes exactly yeah no no, i I just appreciate you being on so thank you oh thanks for having me man yeah absolutely so the first uh very fun question how are you i'm i'm okay i'm i'm doing all right i'm doing all right (laughs) I feel optimistic mostly right now. I, That's I've, good. And, and I feel like uh, this year I've learned in both easy ways and hard ways that I have more uh, coping mechanisms at my disposal than I once thought I had. I know exactly what you mean. Like I feel like uh, you know going into the year I was focusing more on like, self care, and boy has it been a crash course in that. And yeah. Uh, and yeah, you know, just kind of realizing. Um, that I have more resiliency than I realized, which is good. You know, this has definitely been a time where you you have less distractions for the most part outside of like the psychic <laughs> foreboding ever-present distraction of a giant fucking pandemic. But outside of that little thing, you have kind of less to be distracted by and you can't ignore certain things, or at least me, that I, I tried to before. So it's been a learning experience for sure. Yeah, man. I mean, the... The kind of ultimatum I was asking people at the beginning of this is, would you rather be in a, a, a coma and wake up post all of it or live through it? And and despite everything, everyone wishes they would live through it that I ask about yeah. this, this thing about. I feel like we are, uh, it goes back to that, there's some theologian, Colbert, Stephen Colbert quoted, where the punishments of God are also gifts. And so even though there are things that you absolutely wish would not have happened, you can't wish, you can't not be grateful for them. Because the things that absolutely. you most wish wouldn't happen, even when they happen, that they are in some way. Not even like, there's a lesson here, there's a good takeaway, but just what is the... um I don't know. I don't know what the word is for takeaway that's not ultimately reductive, but I feel like there's been so much of that in my life. So many things that, oh my gosh, I wish this would not have happened this year. Even like pandemic aside, personal stuff, stuff with friendship, stuff with family, which feels absolutely brutal, but I can't be, and I wish it didn't happen, but I can't not be grateful for any of it, which, you know, Maybe that's a privileged take. Maybe that's a, you know, it's it's a detached from reality take. Or maybe it's just like a coping mechanism take of like, uh, yeah, sure, I'm grateful for this, whatever. <laughs> but but that that is the take I have right now in in, in all sincerity and, and trying to, I feel like uh, this year, I finally have started to try to be the person that I would admire <laughs> <laughs> in yeah. some parts of my life, like not that I was a full dirtbag before, but just feeling um, more fully feeling, realized, I suppose. Well, I think uh, there's this book, which I do not recommend, called The Meaning of Marriage. And it's this Christian book 
about marriage by a guy named Tim Keller, who is uh, like a kind of a, a Christian author. He's a pastor. He's very smart, and I disagree with him about like most stuff, about gender mm-hmm. stuff, about sexuality. The way, though, that he describes what marriage is in the book, the image that he uses in it is marriage, people have a reticence or open animosity to marriage most times and trying to interrogate why that is. And oftentimes it's because like, oh, it's so good before when we're just dating or or in some other sort of genre of relationship. It's good, it's good, it's good. And then for whatever reason, um, we get into marriage and it becomes really tough. So it's almost like you blame the marriage for it. And it's like, ah, this marriage really ruined us. The reality of what's happening most of the time with that stuff He describes it as you are a bridge. You, and then in this scenario, your partner are a bridge. And marriage is a truck driving over the bridge. The bridge is what it is. There are the strengths of it. There are the pillars holding it up. There are the cracks within the fault and foundation of it. All the truck is doing is revealing what those things are. It is not changing the bridge. It is only testing what the bridge is. And so I have felt so much that. Quarantine is not lockdown, pandemic, and all the relational trial and testing I've gone through. It has not made me different, but it has tested me. And in some ways, it has revealed to me the ways in which I myself, not to blame Corona, but I myself need to change myself. So I'm grateful even for that and something that, who knows, maybe things would have gotten more out of control in my life without, you know, this awful mess that we're in. Because even now, I still feel valued, loved, cared for, uh, celebrated sometimes. I, I feel like I'm one of the lucky people right now, yeah. and, and, and I don't take that for granted. That is interesting, though, just the idea of, of blaming the marriage as if you're a victim of circumstance as opposed to, you know, that just speaking to a, to larger possibilities or, or potentially larger issues, you know, within that. And I always think about that, too, just like a part of me when I think about when friends have said, because I'm not married, but mm-hmm. said it changes everything. And and I, a part of my brain just goes to, and maybe this speaks far more to me, just <laughs> thinking about like the finality of that, I suppose, you know, just like saying till death do us part and just, mm-hmm. I don't know, I, I've, you know, I've, I know plenty of people too who have, have gotten married and then it's the greatest thing in the world. So I, and, but then again, in retrospect, they're some of the healthiest relationships I've ever encountered in my life. So maybe it just amplifies, amplifies the good and the bad potentially. Yeah, I th- I th- I think that's the reality of most people's circumstances. It's so easy in life to blame something that might be a personal failure or shortcoming in your own life on someone or something else. Yeah. Well, it wouldn't be this way if not for, okay, this guy in my life treating me this way, which made me feel this way. Or, oh, this girl was being so crazy. Or like, oh, this coronavirus pandemic actually kind of blah, 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 blah. And the reality of it is that it it can't, people can't change you. Experiences yeah. with people can change you and how you react to them. But like, like it is within your control and grasp how, how you encounter the world in life. I completely agree. And it's, it's so much easier to point a finger than it is to think about it, process it, internalize and really work on yourself because this shit, it's hard. It really, it's a lot of work. 
to really do the work and work on yourself. But but then again, and I say this, and I don't enjoy it all the time, but I do like kind of evolving or getting better or, or doing better and being happier with myself and where I am in the world. And it's supposed to be difficult. It shouldn't be easy. Because then, it, it, I don't know, it feels like a headless value, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I are, how old are you, by the way, Brandon? I'm 37. 37? Okay. I, I just turned 31 a month ago. A month ago today, actually. And um, there's so many things in my life. Because I... I'd been in therapy from pretty much on a regular basis from 2013 to 2018 or maybe 2017. I think I started going on like a biweekly basis at that point. But up until then, I was going on a weekly basis. And I I guess I'm just kind of flabbergasted and BT dubs. I don't know about you or your listeners, but I am back in therapy now and... I, I do. Uh, yeah, I'm I do. doing it remotely as well. You are see, and I, I'm actually very encouraged by how easy it feels in remotely. I thought it's gonna be like, oh, this is gonna be a strange way to connect. I don't know, but then everyone just adapted, and we adapted, and we. Yeah, I was it worried out. what it would be like, and it's it's been pretty seamless, honestly. It's good. In yeah. some ways, it's like, is it more intimate? Is it better in some ways? Because like he's like my guy is in my home. I, he sees <laughs> my bedroom. When I call him, I'm definitely uh, way more comfortable. I'll say that instead of yeah. just all the production of getting there, you know, and the mental energy maybe that takes and parking and all that. I don't know. To me, it's enough of a. I guess the the differences are are negligible if there are any really. That a part of me is like, I just kind of I'm good. This is good. Yeah, yeah. So I'm happy about it. But oh, what I was gonna say in relation to age yeah. is, I think I'm still shocked at the things that it's taking me to learn even now mm-hmm. and the things that oh i expected this would be different or this would go away or this would not be a problem anymore or this basic thing shouldn't i have learned this when i was like 25 or 6 because i'm not a dummy i am I a dummy mean, in a yeah. lot of ways but in a lot of ways i'm not and shouldn't i have had the skills and especially given the fact that i was in therapy given the fact that i was seeing someone specifically for you know, for this very purpose, for such a long time in my life, shouldn't I be better or different by now? And the answer is just no, sometimes no, it's just what it is. And maybe the problems in our lives do not change. They just become more or they become less. And like, it's not like you turn 27 and then you used to deal with this sort of thing. Now you deal with a whole new species of problem. It's just, it might just be the same stuff all your life and then just different versions of that same stuff. So if you have an issue with communication, okay, well, that's going to be true today as it was yesterday, but it's going to take this new sort of form. I think I'm just, I think I'm just, uh, there are times when I'm like, oh, I feel like, disappointed in myself for not having a uh like a quicker learning curve with some of it and then some of it is just reckoning with you know entering my fourth decade on earth of like oh is this just what life is it's just kind of the same stuff it's kind of the same stuff for as long as we live which is uh, a different thing to have to make peace with it's funny, you know, they say you turn 30 and that's that's when you really feel it and you wonder, what does it all mean? But for me, it was 31. Maybe because I'd been told that enough about 30 that I had it so built up in my head that I was just, oh, this isn't that bad. But then for whatever reason, 31 is just like, what does it all mean? Brandon, you read my mail, my friend. That was <laughs> fully 30, uh, 29 to, okay, 28 to 29 felt awful. I felt like, oh, these like life goals, these like benchmarks. Yeah. 
I, these feel so fully out of my grasp. I feel totally behind. I feel, uh, you know, low self-esteem stuff, like just bad, bad stuff. And I, di- I didn't even do anything that year. I, there was no celebration of, of, of any sort. 29 to 30 rocked. That felt like getting a shot at the doctor. Yeah. It's like, you're dreading it, you're dreading it, you're dreading it. Then you get it, and it's like, wait, that's all it was? Are we done? Is it over? And it's over before you think it is. And there's such a sense of relief I had yeah. turning 30. 30 to 31 has been very different. And it's been marked not by, oh, I was dreading this, and here it comes, the reckoning. But it's more the the sort of, I think the things I even took for granted, even during age 30, are, I, I think I'm I'm still dealing with. And still like, oh, okay, well, this needs attention. Or this is this was an assumption I made that I should not have made. Yeah, um, it's, things it's like interesting that. that it kind of reminds me of um, when, you know, you're sick and then you feel a little better and you're still sick, but you feel better. And it's just the wave of relief of not feeling that bad anymore. And oh, maybe yeah. with like, you know, with like 30, it's just uh, you have it so built up, uh, you know, certainly myself, have it so built up that it's bad that you're just riding the wave of relief. And then it's like 31 and you're like, oh, and then, you, yeah, you have to reconcile with runoff from 30 and then 31 and then the what is it all mean factor. Yeah. So that has been that has been my year. And I think, again, I'm still grateful for it. Sure. Here's here's the way I described it to a friend earlier uh yesterday i think is i think some of the hardest days in my life in some ways have been this year but this is still not the worst year of my life and so even that as a marker of progress and coping i feel better about like 2020 still beats the worst years of my life i'm thinking of maybe 2013 wasn't that great maybe 2014 2014 had good points but like it's still better than that still whatever like the harshest pain or the grief that i felt is still better than the worst years of my life so i'm I'm trying to process it in that day by day sense rather than letting one day tell me a story about myself that then i just assume to be true if that makes sense because no, it's, it it's it's hard. I think it's hard to um, to have ideas about your nature and character about yourself. Like, oh, I think I'm this kind of person. I think I have these strengths, these weaknesses, these vices, these virtues. And then to have it tested. Yeah. And then if it's different than what you imagine to be, if you failed in some way, what does that mean? Does that mean, well, I'm a fraud. I was totally wrong about who I thought I was. Because when push came to shove, this is what happened. So not only was I wrong, I'm kind of a liar. I'm kind of lying to myself. Uh, And what does that mean about what I think about in other capacities of myself? Right. Are those good? I don't know anymore. Yeah, like what else am I kind of BSing myself about that I'm not even aware of? Which I guess if, if a friend described it to you that way, the way I'm even talking about myself, the rebuttal I think would be pretty clear of... Oh, whatever you think is like the lowest failures or the the hardest, you know, the worst things about you are not the truest things about you. It just means that they're a part of you. They're not not a part of you. But it's not, especially if you are doing work of like acknowledging it and identifying it and taking steps to to course correct. I think going through these mental progressions is a good sign, though. This is stuff you, you have to. I mean, I guess you don't have to, but. 
I certainly want to to work work through them and yeah you know and uh it's tough you know sometimes it's really tough because yeah you the revelations you have about yourself are I almost said rarely positive but that's not fair but for me uh, I'm just projecting there but <laughs> you know they're just not always positive there is the hard there are hard truths and it's just kind of I don't know I'm just a very analytical person so I, I think I yeah. take to therapy very much in that regard and, it, and I sometimes just verbalizing something to say one thing to think it's another thing to verbalize it just can have just these kind of revelations just by itself but for the most part I like doing the work just sometimes it's really difficult yeah yeah no it's painful man like it's so painful and especially like I think too I I get impatient where it's like mm. okay you know what I feel like November 2020 I have all these tools at my disposal and all these sort of, okay, I don't think I feel I fully understood and internalized this thing. And now I feel like I'm on the right path. And I almost like am impatient to prove myself in that mm. way, which is probably an unhealthy impulse where it's like, I have impatience towards the idea of like, can I finally like earn my worth and value now? Can I like, yeah. it's almost like, can I perform well and, and prove everyone right or wrong or, or myself right or wrong about my character assumptions? Like I have those impulses a lot of time, but like, where it's just like, I would rather skip to November, 2021 when I've been doing this for like a year <laughs> and I feel like yeah. fully aligned and I feel like I'm like living in truth, living in the light, being transparent, being emotionally honest. And I want to get to that point rather than like, I feel like sometimes this year and even, even, you know, in the time that you're catching me in now, like I've been two weeks sober or something. And mm -hmm. it's like, well, is that an accomplishment? But of course, Al-Anon would say, yes, that's the whole point is yeah. of course it is like we celebrate it's not just about the people with those cool looking chips like it's everybody it's everybody who comes for you know even a day a week so like it has to be or there or there wouldn't be hope absolutely so so trying to deal with that and give myself grace with that i feel very fortunate to have a yeah, it's a lot system. to reconcile it is man like there's just there's just so much stuff that I took for granted before the pandemic. That now I wish to God, of course, forever, that the pandemic would have never, ever, ever have happened. But I have to be grateful for what I've been given within it. And not Absolutely. to discount and dismiss, like not to be a Jennifer Aniston, like actually I think COVID's a blessing or whatever the hell yeah. she said. But to a degree, there there have been, it's not all loss. It's not, it, there's so much loss, but it's not all loss. Yes, I, I think um, to your point earlier, like, as much as, you know, I have certain life events and things where I have absolutely fucked up mm -hmm. and I have, I can't change those things. And I think about what if I could, but I just see it as if you're happy where you're at today, you can't have one without the other. And again, I'm not justifying being a shithead by any stretch, right. but, uh, but you know, it's just like those lonely experiences. I, I don't, I don't know. A part of me is like, okay, take those away. I don't know who I am. Who would I be? I just know what I am now. I know what I'm relatively happy with, and I know I have a long way to go. But that's that's part of what this whole thing is. Yeah, well, and I th I think it I think it's um, seated within me, an avoidance of avoidance, because I feel like so much of this stuff. What I even crave with it when I'm thinking about it, and even in this conversation with you, mm -hmm. is like, ah, oh, man, this has been how many years? I wish it was less years. Well, yeah. how could it have not have been that many years, if people, if myself. If I didn't communicate things 
avoidantly or not communicate things, I guess. Or avoidance in the sense of like avoiding things within yourself of like, okay, this feels like it's not a healthy area. How do we, how do we like make straight what is crooked? And then you just kind of procrastinate and put that off if you don't feel like a moral imperative for urgency sake. Uh, So I feel like one of the big takeaways from me has been avoiding avoidance because what I crave right now, like I said, of like wanting to skip to November 2021 for a variety of reasons, obviously, <laughs> but like one of one of the reasons being so, so I can put those things into practice and like that it's not taking so long and that I can like have a life marked by it rather than just like a desire for a life marked by a particular thing, if that Absolutely. makes sense. Yeah. So, but I thought, you know, I, I urge like whoever, yourself, whoever's listening, just, just like avoidant communicate, like the, the temporary discomfort of direct feeling and dealing with whatever the honest emotion is, is always significantly less painful than the grief it could cause later. Yeah. Yeah. And I do think that something, I think especially something like this, that is just so, it's so unfathomable. It's so cinematic and beyond belief in many ways. If you don't establish some sense of control that is trying to process this in real time as much as one can, mm-hmm. that it's going to manifest itself one way or the other, I think. And, oh, yeah, totally. And, and, and in a world where, you know, I guess a lot of it is just the illusion of control anyway, but certainly now we have far less control, or at least up front in our faces, control than we've ever had. Mm-hmm. It's just a lot, you know? It's just... It's a lot. There is no limitless pill for this. Oh, don't you wish there was a limitless God. pill for this? Bradley, I want where that pill. are you? I want Honey. that pill. Give me that pill. <laughs> That's right. Yes, give me that pill. I did want to ask you a random question. Sure. You've done several videos on sorkinisms. Oh, yes, that's that's my mental condition, unfortunately. <laughs> of Aaron Sorkin basically plagiarizing himself? Yeah, I don't know what you would call it. I guess that's the most that's the simplest way to put it. It's so funny when people... I'm sorry, get to your question first. No, I was just going to ask, what is your relationship with Aaron Sorkin? I mean, man, he was... Uh, that was the first TV show I loved was Sports Night. Not even West Wing, but Sports Night. And then That's obviously, a great show. I, 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 you know, the first four seasons of the West Wing is still the most meaningful. I, I promise you, Brandon, there are like <laughs> ways, words, cadences, phrases, ideas that like that still fully inform my life. Yeah. And are a part of the KTP vernacular <laughs> that originated from West Wing and from Aaron Sorkin and from Sports Night. You know, like all that stuff. They are absolutely like it feels melded. It's burned into my brain. So I love I loved his stuff. I, I you know, in addition to the TV shows, I got into the movies, of course. Yeah. Uh, growing up and I would like rip the audio from my DVDs and listen to the to the episodes of the TV show as as I was falling asleep when I was a kid and I That's have amazing. full episodes memorized, which is why I started to notice when there were, when there were, um, like the overlaps. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Self-plagiarizing. That's um, right. Yes. Well, I guess it, you know, it is impre- impressive to just be able to find those commonalities, but also the fact that, uh, 
it helps that it's sort you know there there are sorkinisms it is so specific to him you know his cadence i remember i think it was uh, molly's game where he quite literally i guess when he's directing at least gives line reads to actors down to the syllables if they're not emphasizing the right thing so he knows exactly what he wants to do and it's very very memorable in that in that regard in many regards yeah yeah and the thing is like when whenever one of those videos whenever i put one of them out and it makes rounds everyone's like we got him like we did it we we freaking <laughs> oh yeah nailed like this you're dude. like you're against him yeah well and it's just it's such a rorschach test to me of well what 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 is the most salient most interesting funniest part of this to you the fact that this guy who's written okay he wrote 88 episodes of west wing 22 episodes of studio 60 40 something episodes of sports night 30 episodes of newsroom and then like 12 movies like the fact that he reused a phrase or a line throughout that time isn't relevatory to me it's just like interesting <laughs> it's like it, to me it's more it's almost more damning to me that i would notice than it is to like <laughs> You could do this with any with any writer, with any. Um, I feel like if you made a supercut of every time a certain songwriter wrote about a particular subject matter, used a phrase to describe a woman or a lover, like you could do that with anybody. It doesn't feel unique. It just feels like his is the most obvious or the most salient of yeah. of, of maybe some of those examples. I think also, I think to your point, yeah, it's very much uh, people's reactions dictate very clearly their impressions and perceptions of Aaron Sorkin and his work. And honestly, when I watch them, I think they're very funny just to see one and then see almost the exact thing again and not even in a as an indictment on him because like he's written so much stuff like good Lord, he has an incredible body of work just from a volume standpoint, let alone the quality thereof. But my mm -hmm. what I want to know is, does he know? Is well, he, he does know. He's... He does know. Does he? Yes. Okay. <laughs> well, when Sorkinisms okay. came out, he sent me a note about it. <laughs> oh, nice. Uh, this was like, cool. like the first one eight years ago. He, he, it was a really nice note. He had a good sense of humor about it. Dan Rather <laughs> asked him about it in an interview. <laughs> oh, that's uh, cool. Yeah. So I think he's aware, but not aware enough to avoid it in the future, obviously. Because <laughs> you would have thought like, oh, maybe there'd be some assistant or like script supervisor who had like a control F function on all PDS of all his screenplays that could yeah. see, oh, Trial Chicago 7, you actually use this and this one. And, but no, that did not happen. Do you know, is he aware that this is something he's written before? That's what I don't I'm think also so. curious about. The, the it doesn't seem he, like it. No, the thing he says is I've got a limited imagination and a bad memory. That was his defense. Like he used to say that a bunch, <laughs> like when the when the first videos came out. So okay. I take him at his word. I mean, I don't remember things I've said and written down before. And I'm, again, I've, on like a long enough time frame with enough prolificness, yeah. it's inevitable. I think it is inevitable. It's just funny when it is so specific thing like lines about turning this whole blank into my ping pong room or, <laughs> yeah. you know. Uh, I enjoy it a lot. And not in a, again, in an anti-Sorkin way. Like, I mean, Social Network is one of my favorite movies. I do have a, a little bit of a, I guess complicated is a strong word, but a complicated relationship with him in that sometimes it can be more Sorkin-y than I can handle. Like the newsroom was a bit much for me. The newsroom was it's a lot. like like the a pure, like the pure crack cocaine. Well, not to make that <laughs> well, joke, but like yeah. the purest version of Sorkin in a way where it's like, oh, okay, I'm overdosing now. I know exactly what you mean. Specifically the one where... 
they're on the plane and they hear Bin Laden was assassinated and they go, Pretty we got him. I just want to let you know. And we the first to know that we got him. Criminal. And I saw that and I was genuinely mad. Yeah. And I could not keep going. But it was definitely, um, HBO is like, what do you want to do? Go do it. Yeah. And he did it. Fair enough. It is, um, yeah, good for him. Good for them. Good for auteurs. I think he's not going to do television ever again, though. I think he's said that on record of like, he had such a, as he puts it, a pebble in his shoe about Newsroom that I think, I and I do think he thrives in short form storytelling and then sometimes stumbles in long form storytelling. So if we get another social network sequel or even anything close to it, it that, that'll be worth it. I'll, I'll miss that kind of like alchemy of like at its best what the West Wing was. But yeah. But if he's got a couple more Steve Jobs in him, I'm 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 here for it. That'll be good. I enjoyed that movie quite a bit. Yeah, um, I thought it was just that 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 three act three event structure. I, I you know, I, strangely underrated. I think in a way, like I uh, think I think so. And an underrated Fassbender performance. He's fantastic in that. And very under underrated um, Rogan. Yeah, I do want to ask you one more thing. So four days ago ish, you were part of. What I mean, just I feel like magical is the word that comes to mind. But dude, yes, you were I mean, in yes. Los Feliz atop a car at one point at a Phillips sixty six station. Yes, celebrating that Biden was confirmed as the winner of the presidential election, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and just surrounded by people radiating joy. Yes, how was that experience? So I mean, that was all I wanted. That was everything I wanted out of the day and all credit to Addie Wayrich and Demi Adigewebe who who started the party that I then showed up to pretty yeah. early and stayed for a pretty long time or so I thought and then it turns out they were there for seven hours but <laughs> so I got I got the news when I was on a walk that Saturday morning because I was like okay is this gonna be a week of this and no one had really any good sense of when it was gonna be called and by yeah. who and how and and what it would feel like so I got the news that it was he was the projected winner on a walk alone in my neighborhood and and i live in kind of like a quieter suburbs and and i was just like "Ah!" and there was just like such a pent-up thing and then i saw people on instagram kind of coming out and then and then demi posted on his instagram like hey we're having a party at los Feliz and hillhurst please come and i was like yeah i want to like i'll come by and honk my horn i just want to give a horn honk and i'll feel good and then i'll have yeah. like a little quiet celebration the rest of the day and then what ensued of course was not that by the time i got there there was already a little bit of a scene that was starting to grow that e- that grew even more and so addy and demi were already on top of addy's little white prius just wilding out and it was <laughs> it was it, it was ever like it was just it was what you wanted it was the release it was the fall of a fascist regime it was the night mirrors over it yeah. was it was just so beautiful and wonderful to feel like legitimately a part of a community and and especially during this time right now to have the ability to run into people at a thing <laughs> and to see other people and then to see people i don't know posting about it oh look there we are in the photos and stuff and to have like Oh, you know, even after I left, Mariah Carey's retweeting us and, you know, (laughs) like that sort of thing. And to feel just like truly the elation and hugging people with masks on, it was so touching. And it was like, um, 
you know, after 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 the BLM stuff this June, which was marked by there was joy and celebration in, in some of those events. But of course, yeah. there's melancholy and sadness and grief and anger, too. But this was like the just like the pure distilled joy version <laughs> of what those events were. Where it's just everyone was on the same page honking, everyone was smiling, you could see their smiles poking out of their masks. It was just insanely beautiful to be a part of and to feel the community that you were a part of too. Because I live a little bit out east from Los Angeles. I'm in Los Angeles County, but I'm in Pasadena. And it's not really a walkable place, but where that where that little party was was very walkable. And I think it felt great to just, yeah, keep running into people and have it be a little epicenter of celebration and, and festivity. And genuine, too. It was not planned. Yeah. It was fully organic. And it was just like a true legitimate block party, which L.A. is not as good at as New York or even other East Coast cities like Philadelphia or something. So I was just yeah, thrilled and, and honored to be a part of it. It was very meaningful. And, and to be with people I loved and to just scream and drink champagne at like 11 in the morning. It was it was gorgeous. It was so gorgeous. You couldn't write something better than that. To your point, just the way it just came together organically and just this pure joy and celebration. And like four years, especially this last one of just like tension release. To be able to just excise all of these bad things in this moment, everybody feeding off that energy. Yeah. Just watching the videos, obviously, and seeing photos, it definitely radiated that just as a viewer on a computer. But I can't imagine that indescribable energy having been there. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was incredible. It was just uh, floating, elated, truly beyond words. And and two, it was like so humbling as well. And and remembering, I think too, it, it was it was particularly lovely because Addie and Demi, uh, in addition to being friends of mine, like they they also volunteered really hard for uh, City Councilwoman Nithya Raman, mm-hmm. who just unseated an incumbent, which is just so unheard of in local yeah. Los Angeles politics. And she unseated him on a genuine grassroots, progressive campaign and platform, fully above board, fully transparent, and just with like grace and dignity. And I think that was a part of it too, was even just feeling a shift in Los Angeles politics and and what this means for our future. Because that's just like a phenomenally powerful thing to have a woman like that, a part of the city council and, and making decisions for us. Uh, in that way, which, you know, like, by the by, usually not not during pandemic times, but usually like federal government doesn't have much effect on our day to day lives. It's rare. Sometimes it happens with like Affordable Care Act and it happens with pandemic precautions, things of that nature. But for the most part, who's president doesn't really affect you. Mostly it does now. But local politics does. Who's deciding which propositions to put on the ballot? Who's funding them? Who's advocating for which group on a city council level fully affects you way more than Mike Pence, you know, or whoever the vice president is. So I do encourage people to get involved on that level as well. That's as good a and positive a note as any to end on. Hey. I, uh, first of all, thank you again for this. Uh, I love this. This is great. Of course. What a nice conversation. Brandon, it was wonderful. Anything you want to plug before we wrap it up? Nah, just follow me at Kevin T. Port everywhere. All that annoying stuff. <laughs> Letterbox is fun. Everyone go to Letterbox. We're having fun on there. It's small. It's independently owned. Facebook doesn't doesn't mess with it. So we're still we can still have some fun there. Yeah. Oh, that's great. I love it. So uh, thank you all for listening. Just please wear a mask. Be kind. It's okay not to be okay. I missed all of this. And just be kind to yourself and others. And thank you again. Bye. Goodbye. Thank you.